Welcome to The Link, the podcast that links the past to the present for those who went to high school in the 1980s. It is a perfect time to reflect and to take stock and to think about really fun parts of our past, but also some challenges. I get to see and hear all your amazing faces and a blast from the past, which is always super exciting, seeing who we were then, who we are now. We really didn't know what was going on in each other's lives very much. And so finding out the real scoop is incredibly rewarding. Yeah, welcome back to The Link. This is uh, producer Dave, David Yows at pod617.com. More importantly, the holy trinity of podcast hosts are here. <laughs> Diana Donovan, Farrah Pandith, and Meredith Zenner, of course. Who is who in the holy trinity? <laughs> I'm not... Don't get him started, Diana, please. <laughs> yes. I don't even know uh, what the Holy Trinity is. <laughs> well, right. We don't, Meredith, since we, okay. we're sharing Jews. But anyway. So, oh, my God. So Spoken like a true Bostonian. That is a tease, the voice of our guest for today. I'll leave you in suspense for one more moment while I turn it over to Diana to introduce said guest. Unless there's any, any other housekeeping you guys want to get to. You guys are enjoying no. your, your... Straight to the guest. We want to go straight to the guest. All right. Do it, D- Diana. The floor is best. All right, so <laughs> I'm excited to introduce one of my favorite people from the class of 1986. He is the chair of dramatic writing at the Tisch School of the Arts, NYU. He is the former basketball team member of our <laughs> podcast producer. <laughs> That's true. Don't um, and also, most importantly, he was my prom date. Yes. Oh. I am introducing oh. Joe Vinceguerra. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, guys. Joe, for the record, I think senior year we were six and twelve. That glorious season. How oh, do you we won remember six that? Games? Wow. I think we he won. Looked it up. I think no. I I, I just tell he's people just making it up. <laughs> wow. Six and twelve. Okay. Yes. yes. And, and that That's makes eighteen. <clears throat> So, well, Joe, for we're, me, we're so, so we're really, really excited to have you. We're really grateful for your cool. time today. This is going to be fun. This is not meant to be a do you remember kind of situation. Dave. This is not an inquisition. Yeah, no, it like is. That. But we're really curious. Like, you find yourself doing something totally cool right now. Tell us about what you do. Well, <laughs> I guess the, gra- the grass is always greener on the other side <laughs> of the fence. But I am currently the chair, as Diana said of the uh, dramatic writing department at Tisch, which is the playwriting, screenwriting, and TV writing department. And I'm, it's cool. It's a great job. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's my first, it occurred to me recently that it's my first kind of office job since I was probably like 28 or something. And it's, so my life is always going against the tide. And <laughs> here I am, like when a lot of people are starting to like, I don't know, not I'm not going to say retire, but a lot of people are thinking like not of getting into new kind of full-time jobs. I'm doing just that. So, and I just started. So it's like, I literally just started this summer. I've been the associate chair for a long time and I've been an engaged faculty person at NYU building the program and everything else. But I'm now sort of the, the buck finally stops with me, which terrifies me. (laughs) What part of that that is like, if, how is it an office job where it wasn't before? Do you actually have an office you have I to have hang to... out in and, and they come see you? 
No, the difference is like in the academic world, I've always had an office, but I never really had to be there because <laughs> it didn't really matter. And I could go in like twice a week. That's the usual thing. I think now I have a picture to go in... of you in your first office. I think you put your feet you really? up on the desk. Oh, I, I swear, like from the 1990s. Oh, I have to go in five days a week. I have to be there Ooh. five days a week from like, you know, 10 till six kind of thing. So. And, and was there anything about the job that when you were the assistant, you secretly coveted or thought, ah, I could do this better? And now how is it that you're actually there? And how is it different? Like, well, you know what I'm uh, saying? I do. I mean, it's just it's just the ability to, like, have your, I don't know, just like the ability to not have to get approval for anything is the only Well, you're difference. the top banana. Well, yes, within my department, but it's all part of a, it's all part of a larger bureaucracy. There's really no secret powers or anything, but it's just, I'm just in charge of a lot of people. That's all. And are there celebrities wandering in and out, right? I think of NYU as being just. (laughs) Yes, actually. I mean, it is, it's Tisch School of the Arts. It's all in one building. So like every actor, director, writer you've ever heard of is there. And they come and go, but you know, it's not, I don't know. It's not a big deal. It's New York name <laughs> drop. But, you know. One of the things I'm really curious about as you have navigated this sort of larger space of being a creative and really looked at how to tell stories in, in a different mediums, what's changed now? Like how, oh. how has your profession changed and what are your students interested in talking about that, that surprise you? Good question. Well, that that is a good question. I I don't talk to my students. That's the first. No, that's not. I'm very I'm very involved. How big and are the, the classes? Just to it's start all out. texting. At How this big point, are the classes? Right? Yeah, it is all texting. Literally, the the, first, the thing we had to do we had to literally have like a, a meeting of all faculty member to figure out like how do we how do we write text conversations in screenplays it's a new thing and and we need to know how to do it we none of us obviously know how to do it but we figured it out classes meredith are like 12 students from small my department has about 400 students between the undergraduate and graduate department to answer your question fair the, the 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 world of dramatic writing in the kind of 15 years that i've been at nyu has changed because the students are the the lines between job descriptions are different. So like you used to be a playwright and that was it. But now okay. if you're a playwright, you also work on a, a TV series and you also write feature films. So we our curriculum. We changed up everything in our department to kind of break the barriers down between those forms of those mediums. So and that were you part was, of that? Was, yeah. No, I've been I've been the curriculum the head of the curriculum committee for a lot of time for a long long time now like long because time meaning I, like 10 years okay long time <clears throat> dog years um <laughs> i think that's the biggest change and, and tv has made a place like our department a place where students actually can like get jobs <laughs> in the world when they graduate thank god because we have to keep selling them on the idea that they should come to college and you might actually be able to get a job so a lot of them Tons of them actually do get jobs in writers' rooms, awesome. and so that has been the biggest change. But it That's filters. So they go from obscurity yeah. to complete celebrity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. some of them do. Yeah, some of them do, and then we try to hit them up for money. Obviously, That's the- <laughs> No surprise there, but that's that's the biggest change. But it filters back because a lot of the a lot of the kids that come out of the out of my department who get jobs in TV then 
go back to their kind of like playwriting roots and then they were able to put on small productions and that they wouldn't be able to do other they wouldn't otherwise be able to do and they use their notoriety or whatever and their connections to do that so it's a it's a nice self-fulfilling prophecy of making good art still believe it or not and it it seems oh go ahead it seems opposite because prior you'd be a playwright and then hope like oh maybe i should write a screenplay and and but now i like it's the screenplay to fund the playwriting at times like let's make the money let's make the big bucks and then i can do what i really want when it seems and correct me if i'm wrong that before it was like i just want to do what i want and like write this play and yeah i mean it's yeah yeah it's still like that but i but people are these this is this is expensive stuff and these people amass huge debts and they want to pay them back and they can do that by getting a job in la on a as a writer's assistant with, with another working for another one of our alums or our faculty. And that's nice. It seems like even the role of playwrights has been elevated, right? Like theater has become such a big deal. I mean, and it's not just because I read the New York times. I think it really has become a big deal. It has. I mean, a lot of our, yeah, because we have like brought is because of Broadway and the the money and, and the, and the huge amounts of money that have been, that have poured like Disney and such and Warner brothers pouring huge money into Broadway has meant that exact thing that it's now like the new movies is Broadway. So, mm-hmm. but as a reason, but everyone in that industry also will still work at tiny theaters, a lot of which are downtown in Manhattan. So we, so that's, that's a good thing for people like us who are, and I'm not a playwright, but for the playwrights, it's a good thing because it gives them a lot more work. The fact the, the more kind of huge, crass Broadway shows that are going on just means that the more really small-time theater stuff... Just name one on. huge, crass one. Come on, <laughs> pick on one. Oh, I don't know. Where do you want to start? Cats? I mean, I don't, know. I don't think cats, cats are still running. Such, a, such an easy target. That's <laughs> always an been an easy target. I think I saw Cats four times. Yeah. Meredith, you had a Cats... T-shirt? Sweatshirt. Also. Sweatshirt. Oh, yeah. My brother got guys. the t-shirt. I wish I got the t-shirt. Joe, you know, I've never seen it. Uh, listen, I have photographs you see of it, her. Diana. It's worth it. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Joe, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is how we inject ideas into societies in a, at a speed and at a rate that can actually affect change. So whether we're talking about issues like the environment or issues of minority rights or whatever the the social issue might be for the day. There's been a huge change from from my platform to see who Mm -hmm. can help policymakers make policy by affecting the environment in which we live. And obviously the kinds of, I mean, this is just such an obvious, when when Homeland became the hottest thing ever, Mm -hmm. people were talking about counterterrorism in a very different way. They were looking at things and and right after 9-11, I know that the administration worked really hard with Hollywood to try to get them to inject a little bit more diversity of good players who happened to be Muslim so that it didn't look like only the bad guys were Muslim. How are you looking at some of these themes around social justice, around domestic and international policy as you weave these, these wonderful scripts together? Wow, heavy, heavy uh, political <laughs> questioning coming down here. It's all we talk about, honestly, Farah, because because of in the last, particularly in the last four years. I mean, if we go back to 
the day that uh, a certain president won in 2016, it was basically a day of mourning at a place like Kish School of the Arts, and we just shut down. And, and we literally just said, no classes today. Mm-hmm. And it just became like, we were all, we asked all our faculty members to just, just come in and be, and be kind of emotional counselors, the weeping hysterical students, which wow. I'm laughing about now because I don't know, because it's a histrionic world I live in, but at the same time, it's real. So, so the, the, the conversation over representation, identity, diversity, equity really took off then and it reflected back. And yes, you talk about something like Homeland b- being part of the kind of media loop that that creates a perception of identity that, that, that can kind of change the public's perception of people through the media that they watch. And we're incredibly aware of that in the, in, on the educational side of my world, maybe less so in the kind of crass money-making Hollywood side, but the two always converge because the appetite, I mean, the, 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 the cancel culture power of these kids at the age that I'm seeing them at NYU is tremendous. And they, when they, when they mobilize and say no to something, it's like we, we at the, not me, but like the people in the studios and the TV series and the advertisers have to listen because they have all the power they have all the money and so luckily, they're, they've become really empowered in the last few years. And so it trickles back to things like hiring for, fact, for, for admissions, proactively seeking more diverse students of different representational identities, for instance. And really just act, the, the more we talk about it and the more we actively pursue change, the more it just seems to happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if, if, I mean, even in like, we had as our as our graduation speaker in my little department, not like we have a sort of Tisch graduation and each department has its graduation. We had Kevin Wilmot this year, who's a graduate of my department. And he works with Spike Lee in a lot of movies. And he wrote Black Klansmen a couple of years ago and then The Five Bloods before that and a bunch of other really, really big influential movies. And if you just take Black Klansmen as an example of a movie that can change people's perception of of some of an issue i guess and and it can and it can educate at the same time while while being entertaining it was great because he's kevin is one of our kind of alumni literally one of our alumni and when we asked him will you come and speak to the students about your experience in your life and he was like yeah of course i will and he came and he talked and he and without being political about it he basically said to all our young students just do your he literally said do your thing and just write about yourself and write about what's on your mind and the world will figure out a way to project that. And then that'll trickle back down to more people like you being able to tell your stories as a result. So it's a nice kind of circuitous loop that happens there. The story. I don't know if that really answered your question. No, it did. It's actually really, it's really wonderful. It's actually wonderful to hear actually to hear that you're you're sending that message to you. I mean, when I say it's it's a big part of our conversations, it really, it's been a huge, among the kind of faculty, the chairs and the deans at a place like Tisch School of the Arts, it's really, I mean, we have to run the place, but we are so engaged in these conversations all the time that it's just like, it's just constant. So it's, I feel it's like cool. That's... I like it. 
Yeah. That's such a great place for you to end up because I feel like <laughs> the way I remember you at Milton is being as passionate about like social change, social justice, and everything. I guess I am. Yeah, I didn't. You've really always realize been it. like that. In addition kind of to being accidental. kind of an artist, <laughs> creative type, but it's amazing to kind of fall into that where you get to influence all these people. Yeah, it's. I'm so happy about that part because we are. Incre- we know we're very arrogant at Tisk School of the Arts because when we talk about ourselves and, and we talk about how influential we are and then we're like, we can back that shit up, by the way. Because <laughs> like, if you look at the Oscars last year and if you look at the you know Emmy Awards and we can just start, we can point to every single person oh, who yeah. comes through our place and we try to educate them all to be responsible artists. That's actually in our kind of like departmental mission statement. And it's not just about learning how to do this and learning how to make money. It's about learning how to take positive change out with you and enact it in the world. That's part of the whole package. Joe, did your gang think that the five bloods got robbed at the Oscars? Cause, cause I did. I thought that movie was fantastic. I, I can't imagine why it didn't get yeah, nominated. Of course. Yeah, of course. I yeah. mean, we always do, you know, we take <laughs> this stuff personally. Well, well, even I took it personally, and I didn't. I don't know anybody made the movie. I just really liked. It. I just really liked. It. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always issues, but you know, overall, we always have to we always have to sort of look at it like a team. Like, okay, we're pretty happy that this movie wins and this movie doesn't because we can say they're both. We can hype up both people, both camps of people behind them. You know? Joe, one of the things... Oh, sorry, Diana. I, I, I jumped in. Go ahead. That's okay. No, I was just going to make a minor point that it's amazing that you do what you do and you've managed to really avoid LA. I don't want to start any sort of New York versus Los Angeles. Um, well, except I mean, that I used to live... I mean, I lived in you, LA for But not for, for, for how many no, years? No, no, no. Like on two different occasions, maybe like two years each, maybe like okay. a year each, a year one time, then a couple... I just didn't, it's too hot. I don't know. I don't like driving. It's whatever. I'm not so into it. Much, now, it's so much worse than the weather, though. It's just like the, the people. Are, Diana, are so be really, be really good, Diana. Yeah, now we can't disparage everyone in LA. I mean, <laughs> right. Losing there the are West some Coast great, audience. great. I appreciate things. New York more. That's and one all. of our upcoming guests is in LA. Let's remember that, Uh-oh. too. Okay. Yes, yeah, exactly. No, but Joe, I we want love to go back LA. to the, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great line. That's really good. Very original. Joe, I want to go back to Milton because Diana raised. So were you, were you, when Diana was talking about social justice stuff that you found interesting, but on all of the creative writing, or is that where you got the bug, or where did you, how did it happen? that you jumped into this field? I blame Meredith. I had no, I'll tell you why, Meredith. I I don't know. I had no interest in or understanding of the artistic world or any of that or until probably, well, when I got to Northwestern and Meredith and I were the only Milton kids that went to Northwestern. So we kind of stuck together. And when I mean stuck together, what I mean is like Meredith used to like come into my dorm room at like 7 a.m. screaming my name. I don't know why I felt the need to wake me up so early and everybody else. Let's hear it. Let's hear her scream. You know? <laughs> yeah! And I was like, I don't know her. I don't know. Um, I, while at, I, while somehow while being at Northwestern University and failing my classes that I was taking, I dis- I started to get interest in theater and writing. So, and then I dr- I sort of dropped out and then went to NYU Film School the next year. 
Didn't it's not you really guys, your didn't fault. Didn't you and Meredith work on very that theatrical. play? Senior project? Wasn't oh. there... Yeah. Yeah. yeah right? Hello. Again, here I am remembering oh, everything. Yeah. Sorry. You were in a play. Yes. It was the skin of our teeth. It was the skin of our teeth. And I, I, Meredith made me, I'm pretty sure this is accurate. I would never have acted. And I still, that was the first and last time I ever did. But I feel like <laughs> Meredith may have convinced me to play the role of maybe like, the senior Mr. Antrobus? Exactly. Right? It's possible. Let's do a fact check. You remember a few day. lines? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also not. I also remember just speaking of making you do things for our 25th reunion, because my mom was yes. living in Newton and you were living oh. in Newton, and you're like, I'm not going. I'm not going. And I said, Joe. I am coming over to your house. Right, she came I'm to my house. I'm you like... up, and I am taking you, and I'm not leaving until you come. Oh, it's it's, it's just like screaming in it's your freshman dorm. Yeah, and, and I picked him up, and we went, and then I do remember, this is one thing I do remember, is driving back. I said what is similar throughout this podcast, that I feel like our core that we had at Milton remains with us like the the core of who we are and you even oh, yeah. said you were glad that you went <laughs> so I, oh. I felt like and i drove you home too so really meredith is, <laughs> is responsible for more than just your career joe yeah. she's 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 responsible for your happiness as well thank you yeah yeah meredith Thanks, is really yeah. excellent that you're bringing this up oh, yeah well because i good. love him so I, I actually think that maybe the next thing you write, Joe, like or get one of your students to write, should have a, a character a character that's Meredith Sinner, like that. <laughs> As if that they should, all yeah. aren't already. <laughs> what are you working on now, Joe? Yeah, what are you working on? I, I'm. You I mean? Well, I don't really have a lot of time right now to oh. do. I mean, I have an eight. My daughter's eight, and it's oh like God, we're in a global eight. pandemic. Is she <clears> gonna? Me. Is she gonna pop in to the podcast? I don't know. And... She gets out of. School. Today's her last day of second grade. Whoa. So, I mean, they're probably out at the like splash pad playground or something. Oh, but so I mean, she get. I don't know. She might come in and bug you. I know Diana. <laughs> you want to see Bridget? I want. Diana see. knows Bridget pretty well because we spend we spent a couple weeks in Maine in the last few summers together. So. Yes, I, I crashed Joe's 50th birthday, and then every year I, I try <laughs> to right. crash his family vacation <laughs> because so I know gonna... pretty much where they will be. <laughs> You're lucky I don't know, or I would be there too. Did I say Maine? Or where I <laughs> Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia. Oh, right. Canada, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so so hopefully no, she'll crash. I don't know. It depends if she's at uh, partying with her little second graders or not. Oh, my God. So cute. <laughs> Is cute, but yeah. To to go back to your question, I I, I kind of like since this pandemic started, I've found. I mean, it's very hard. It's been very difficult running a department at NYU virtually, and switching to Zoom and doing all that and dealing with the all the different kind of problems and issues that that causes. And then also there was a there has been a major kind of pause in a lot of production of film and tv over the last year right and a lot of people were out of work so i I mean in the last year i've been getting calls and emails from a lot of people saying hey you got any teaching jobs because Mm. it's pretty slow out here so there there's not been a lot of creative time i guess in the last like year and a half right focusing on survival and yeah yeah others and yeah 
Are things picking up? I mean, how yes. how is the industry? So t- tell us a little bit about how people are planning for not just theaters opening, but sort of what are you seeing? Like what's happening on the ground? Well, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, a, a lot of production companies. I mean, a lot of theater, theaters are opening in September, so a lot of shows are running. And we, in my department, we track our alums pretty closely and we engage with them. So we know whose whose plays. A lot of plays that were meant to run last year are just going to start running in September. But as a result, there's a little bit of a backlog of people who were expecting. So, like, when you have a season of theater and you you write something, you expect it to get put up in October and then you plan your life around that and then you're told well it's going to be next October or next you know December or whatever so so there's a lot of backlog there but in the in the kind of independent film world where I'm more involved in a lot of places just kind of shut down and went out of business and couldn't or or had to regroup and so a lot of productions I mean if you looked at the Oscars back to that this year it wasn't a tremendously strong year at the Oscars for movies. There weren't, there were less movies made in this last or released, I guess, maybe not made, but released as a result of this whole thing. But, but shows are coming back for sure because people are starting to be able to prove vaccinations. That's good. good. I think it'll take a while. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll still take a couple of years until it's back to normal. If there is a normal. Yeah. I was and this whole, this, whole, this whole idea of Zoom theater doesn't work. We tried to no. convince our students no. and a lot of theaters started like they did that Hamilton thing on Zoom. And I mean, that was fun, but it was like, I mean, nobody really wants it. You want to go out to the theater. You don't want to have it come to your room. <laughs> yeah, you, I agree. Find, I'd be interested if there are ever certain writers who tend towards the apocalyptic style I wonder, like, there are a lot of playwrights or writers who tend to write really dark. The world around them is suffering and da-da-da. And I would wonder if they, what they would be like now during the pandemic. <laughs> Suicidal? Yeah, that's yeah, what I don't thought. Know. Okay, I mean, great. What, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, what's interesting about that is, what this is just purely anecdotal, mm. but that I... I, it just feels like in the last year, a lot of my students have been, they, they have gone from, they've kind of responded to when, when the world is apocalyptic and dark and terrible, they go the other way and they want to mm-hmm. write about, like, there's been a lot of romantic comedies. And there's been a lot of wow. like silly comedies that they're writing. I think it's, it's, I think it's just this kind of response to reality escape is, to go, too. is to escape. Yeah. And I think that's way. good. And, yeah, and I, I, I encourage it. So I, I, I think, like, hopefully the apocalyptic dark people are realizing, like, nothing I do is actually any darker than the real world. So exactly. I, better, I better go the other direction. Here. Yeah. yeah we, there's a lot of does that mean less zombies? Like, we don't have to look forward to zombies and yeah, I mean, meth- you'd, methamphetamine addiction. I and- hope so. I mean, you would think that after a year of, like, that there'd be a lot of movies about claustrophobia, mm-hmm. gaslighting, psychological thrillers, and people being stuck on elevators or like ships going down. But I don't really think that's happening. I think it's going to go the opposite. <laughs> the way so that like after this, after the Second World War, there was a huge amount of kind of uplifting musical theater films and stuff. Maybe and Hollywood know. being created after the Depression. 
Yeah, and, and really taking off. Oh, you did a paper at Milton. I did. Wow. I did a paper on Milton on Hollywood and the Depression and how oh, nice. Hollywood, the glitz and glamour and glory, right. the escape. Exactly, yeah. it's all an escape. So it's interesting that you say, like, when we are just in our homes, our escapes are just so colorful and romantic, and when we're out in the world, it's like, oh, the struggle. Or yeah, it's I mean, where very you, interesting how. I, look works. at me. I'm in my bedroom, for God's sake. I can't. There's no escape, escape except in the mind. Right, right. That's what I, I think, in creatively speaking, I, I find that super, super interesting. How we always uh, seem, we'll always choose pleasure over pain, generally speaking. And so that when we are in a period of darkness, if we are going to create it will be something hopeful and colorful because I, I mean, I know this past year and whatever months, a lot of artists were just completely incapable of creating anything mm -hmm. because it was so dark and there, there were no glimmers of light. And I know a bunch of musicians, you just could not create and could not collaborate because there was no hope and life and it, it just seems so darkness and I think now perhaps that we're at least this country partially are going towards a renewal that then the light can come in and inspire so Meredith I'm going to throw cold water on everything you just said yeah! <laughs> perfect that's what we're here for that's what we're no, here and that's for. why I Joe, the question I asked about sort of the writing and real world issues coming into the way in which they're describing writing scripts about human life and how communities work. And one of the things that, that I, so I've gone down to obviously sort of the worst of the worst, January 6th happening, what it's going to be. And I've been thinking a lot about how writers, like what, what what's the next flix, the next Netflix thing on anything to do with any of these ideologies that are negative and horrifying and what it will mean and the imagination of the writers. And I'm really interested in sort of that idea of what people imagine coming and the bad things, Meredith, not the good, happy things. <laughs> the bad things? The bad I, things. Well, you know, I, I mean, here's an interesting paper for you, Meredith, back to doing a yes. paper on movies. If you chart the, the sort of accepted portrayal of the bad guys in movies, it, it kind of mirrors the, the, the bad guys of, I guess, liberal educated people in this case. Huh. So it's like in, in the eighties, back to eighties movies, it was always like, there were all these like, like weird, vaguely South African sounding bad guys like Rutger Hauer made a whole career out of that, <laughs> I think. And, and to reflect apartheid as being like a bad thing. And then, and then it was the lethal, been lethal weapon. Yeah, German. Lethal weapon, lethal, yes, lethal he was weapon, that, right? Yeah, diplomatic uh, immunity. And, and then, yeah. and then, of course, there was there was a long period of time when anybody with a Middle Eastern or dark skin was now was the terrorist slash bad guy. Mm -hmm. But I, I I feel like we've and then we've gone to now. I I would expect that the kind of white supremacist redneck character is going to be the new kind of acceptable bad guy. I don't know. 
I don't know what that well, is. Disney what made that a whole thing with the reality. Cruella DeVille. Like there was like those like the villainous, and then there was always the, like a horrible stepmother and right. Like there's. I, I so, was hoping to get Joe to be predictive so that we can be like, and on the podcast, the link. <laughs> we... Joe predicted what was coming as as the, yeah, the next I, ten years. And I think it's 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 safe to say that that will probably be a reflection of the the, the kind of faceless bad guy will be will have like deep white supremacist roots mm. probably mm. yeah i'm not there's, making that up obviously i mean it's just it's just right in front of us yeah. right there's also i don't know if you guys saw the show made for love which is mm-hmm. pretty fantastic but it's about this white male kind of like a, a jeff bezos who has everything but it's it's just great show i'm plugging that show I don't want to I'll give it that. It. That's Dave's role, Meredith. What happened? I know to you? Netflix. Ding! <laughs> there, we there we go. I have an open-ended question for Joe, which I think ties into what we were just talking about. But and the question is, does life imitate art? Ooh. Ooh. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Joe Vinciguera, does life imitate art? Does life imitate? I I think we are. All right, I'll get I'll get really academic on you. I think that before the postmodernists, perhaps life imitated art. Although I'm probably totally wrong about that. That just sounded good. <laughs> you you really I was had me. Like, no, wait a minute. Me. All they did was like in the Renaissance was paint pictures of like the baby Jesus and stuff. Take so. two. We'll we'll take we'll do again. From the top. <laughs> From the top. Does life but imitate I, art? I, I think that art always imitates life because artists are always absorbing and observing. So I think because because they are the ones who are making the art mm-hmm. that by the time people see it, it's it's an imitative form. It's always imitative. I mean Aristotle, now I'm going to go academic on you, Di. Yes. Aristotle in his Poetics, which is like one of the kind of seminal books in our academic world of dramatic writing, always talk, talks in the, in the 6th century BC or whatever, talked about the imitation of life, that tragedy was the imitation of life. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's always been the case because artists don't just make stuff up, even though they do, they're always making stuff up out of their own experiences and what they see so i'd have to i'd have to go with art imitating life yes that's the one i think so uh, so meredith gets a question too though doesn't she wait can i can i jump in on that first before i wonder if i was trying to think example of life imitating art and i wonder if the reality tv phenomenon and by extension the sort of whole social mediaization of entertainment has created some like bad stuff. I mean, Dave Grohl, the we know who Dave Grohl is, musician yeah. Dave Grohl. Yeah. He, he he said, "Please, kids, today, why are you waiting in line for four hours to get an audition to American Idol? You should go get in the shitty garage with a couple of shitty guitars and start a shitty band because that's how Nirvana started." And now I I wonder if if we can even call that art reality TV. It seems like that has spawned a generation of people who think that they can be famous by doing crap, but I don't know. But so like the Jake Paul, Logan Paul yeah, types. Yeah. How Oh, I think I I don't I mean I don't I mean art is everything it, it it's what you want it to be, but I think that I'm I'm very cynical when you talk about reality TV because to to someone like me who is I'm not involved in reality TV, but I know from a kind of professional point of view how it started and we as we always the writers think that we 
gave birth to reality TV by going on strike in the 90s, the Writers Guild, when the Writers Guild went on strike for better wages and that it, that it was, it was all about internet technology and where, because all the writers are always getting screwed. That's just like a known obvious, I mean, that's obvious, right? <laughs> but so that, so that when, when the Writers Guild went on strike, the the studios and the tv companies just figured out how to make content without writers and that was what reality tv was and that gave birth to it and now we're living with it and it's easier for them to make reality tv without having to pay writers although some and of them do not, seem pretty scripted actual, jerry springer was around <laughs> they before are, but the they're writers not, strike i think yeah they're so they're, was... they're scripted but they're not written somehow right. that feels scripted is like a director and a producer saying do this and do that and we'll make money yeah. but so I'm not I I'm not very high on reality TV as you can probably imagine. We have Can a wake, Meredith. I can't tell. <laughs> we have a couple more minutes to spend with Joe before we get into the extremely fun game that I have prepared for the end, movie based, of course. Uh, oh boy, Farah, Diana, any any more for Joe? Well, if- no, I, I, I simply was going to ask Meredith to ask our guests the question that oh, is oh, yeah. do that now. Yeah, I thought we waited till the end. But I will happily. Let's do it that. Going back to what I was saying in the car when I was dri- we were driving for yes. right. So my question is, if you could look at yourself at Milton now, what would you tell that person? And then also, what would that person yourself at Milton? think of you and where you are now i think i i would tell that person don't drink and smoke as much <laughs> probably and that person would probably tell me to fuck off <laughs> that's probably how it would be but what would that what would your milton high school self think of all that you've accomplished right now oh, and would that be I, something that would have been in your mind even a possibility no yeah. Zero chance, but I think I think my self in that car, or whenever or like in in high school, would have been very happy to be to have a very comfortable, settled life with a great wife and a child and a really fun job that can actually make a difference in people's lives. Because I actually do get to like award scholarship money to people and things like that. I mean, that is I never would have seen that one coming. That that alone. I feel like that would have made me very happy at that age. That's pretty awesome. So. I have one more movie nerd question for, for Joe before uh, we move on, and it has to do with the type of material that Hollywood is is putting out, and I'm going to share my screen for a second. A list, this is good podcasting. That's what this is. Listeners, you're going to have to imagine this. What, I'm, what we're looking at here is, is a list of... Holy smokes. So th- these are the top box office movies from the decade that ended in 2020. So the, obviously the most recent full decade, if you will. And wow. let's just say among the top 10, I think there are four Avengers movies. There's a Star yeah. Wars movie. There's Jurassic World. Holy there's smokes. The Lion King. There's Frozen 2. There's Furious 7. So I took a look Black at Panther. this. <laughs> Black Panther, which is which is a great movie, I think, and, and it's socially important. But still, it was derivative of a comic book. If you took out all the comic book movies, all the reboots, all the, the animated movies and the sequels from this list, the top 50, there is exactly one original movie with an original story. 
And not even that is an original story. Does anyone want to guess? Bohemian Rhapsody? That's it. Very good, Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the only Bohemian Rhapsody, which is number 46 on the list. And so... The Secret Life of Pets? Wait a minute. Are you saying that Harry Potter is not real, Dave? (laughs) No, no, no. Hold now. If it were an original, it was at one point an original story, but it is a franchise that has magic is real, Dave. Magic is real. Okay, but they're all versions of the same story. This goes back to the good versus evil lecture that I saw. The the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. Exactly. Right. Just to put a, a button on it, the question I had for you was: Is this? disturbing or is it just like you mentioned maybe that there's more creativity being poured into theater and i know this is a new golden age for television so does it disturb you and your and your brethren in the the arts or not so much oh yeah of course it does but because all these because hollywood is such an expensive it's like the cruise line cruise ship industry they're just that it's like they have to feed themselves and so they it's like they they will poor you're more likely to produce a hundred million dollar franchise for for a hollywood studio they're more likely to invest a hundred million dollars in a successful comic book series to develop into an adapted film than invest you know one million dollars in a really original low budget thing because there's there's a much better guarantee that you're going to make that hundred million back because you have a built-in audience and they love franchises, but that's but movies have become the movie industry has become that. But there's also another side of it, which is all all that money that is being pumped back into the writers and the actors and the directors, where <clears throat> they will still make the low budget movies. They just won't get seen on that level. They'll get seen on Netflix and and streaming. So it's all good. I mean, the more money at the top sort of does trickle down kind of a little bit weird Reaganomics way, but I don't know. But also, but if you look at that list, those, all those movies, if you could probably do a side-by-side comparison of like the, the 10 years or 15 years of whatever it is of all those movies, that has also been a kind of really golden age of TV where you have all these new shows cropping up that are really, really original and really focused for Whereas like a movie audience has to appeal to the kind of lowest common denominator of an audience, which is like everybody everywhere. A TV series like Homeland, for instance, Barrett mentioned earlier, can be a very niche thing because not everybody in the country is going to watch Homeland. They're not going to even know what it is, but enough people are going to want to watch it that it can sustain itself. So so that what used to be kind of the independent film world is now the kind of I don't know, independent, not, not even independent, but Netflix streaming TV world. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just that movies are movies in theaters, which is probably now going to be said in past tense is really what happened to Broadway musicals. So Spider-Man is on Broadway. You know, it's so I mean, crazy. that's what so people want to see. I know the musical, right. the musical, I guess. Spider-Man. Is the musical. musical? Right. All right, let's, on that depressing note, no, it's not depressing. Thank you, Joe, for the great thoughts. It's not depressing, though, because it, because it, because the more money, it's all, the more money that's driven into movies and entertainment. Storytelling, it's all yeah. The more people the more get people... paid and the more people can live, and then eventually someone's going to make, there's no, it's no coincidence that a movie like Black Panther existed because of its, for the same reason that some of these really, 
like Furious Seven series movies exist. Although, like some of them, some of the franchise ones that are that are like based on comic properties, Black Panther was one of them, and and that movie has really created a lot of careers and and brought some interesting subjects to the to people in the middle of nowhere who never would have thought about these things. So there's a lot of positive. That's just one example, of course. But that's like a great, good but point. That, that, yeah. that's a really great point and a really important one, actually. And it goes back to what I asked you earlier about sort of how we tell stories and what we put out there in terms of yeah. representation. And, and that movie alone, I mean, since we're talking about it, I mean, really transformed the way a lot of people thought about what a superhero could look like. And, and unfortunately- Yeah, and it's not- yeah. And Wonder Woman too, right? Yeah. It's not the, it's the writers have been writing this stuff forever. Yeah. It's just like, will the industry put it out there? And that's the difference right there. The I, I was reminded recently that it's the like 40th or 50, 50th, no, 40th, I think, anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. It, it, oh does boy. that math, math work wow. out? Yeah, it is. And favorite movie of Nikki Wynn, former, uh, former <laughs> guest on the link, of course, an archaeologist herself. But that movie was based on the, the, the adventure serials that used to appear in film, like The Perils of Pauline, and people would go to the movies to see, before TV, to see a 30-minute episode, or whatever they called it, of some action thing, and then the heroine is left dangling from a cliff, and then you have to right. come back. And so it's funny, how that kind of invented, that kind of launched the idea of television. And now, the, the whole serial thing, it, it now the creative energy that used to go into movies, a lot of that is going into these serials, but they're now on TV. So I, I mean, I think it's, I love TV. I've always loved TV. It's in many ways, he's my best friend, but you know, but, but it's, it's, it's so cool to see because it shows when we were growing up shows like Mad Men, Breaking Bad, they just, they did, Sopranos, they didn't really exist. We had happy days. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, so. we had the incredible Mr. No, Nimbit. Right. TV has changed. Like, like in our curriculum, we used to call our, all our classes TV classes. We now call them episodic classes mm. because, oh, they're, yeah. they're, because they're not on TV anymore. No, nobody, the kids don't watch TV. They yeah. watch screens. And so oh, they boy. watch whatever's an episodic thing on, a, on any format they want. So you can't even call it TV anymore. Right. Can, can I just feel ask? feel old now? Yeah, before we go into the 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 little play the play thing, what do you think of uh, our attention span going from like movies to episodes to little bits on screen to YouTube clips? Oh, everybody yeah. has a shorter attention span. I mean, I do. I can't stay off my phone and I can't like it's very hard to watch I mean if you try to watch like Lawrence of Arabia I mean it's very long <laughs> I love it but I mean you're like wow three hours of my life watching yeah. one movie that's nuts that's like six episodes of you know Fleabag I can't oh, have time Fleabag. for this yeah. or little sure. things Hi, this is David Yaz, producer of The Link Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we hope you consider supporting us with a contribution through Patreon. The Link is a labor of love for us, but there are production costs attached to creating a quality show. And you can help us by visiting patreon.com slash the link podcast. We have some cool ways of thanking you for your support, including t-shirts, mugs, and shout outs on the show. You can do us a solid for as little as $5 a month, and we will continue to bring you great conversations that foster the bonds of our high school class and beyond. Once again, please visit patreon.com slash the link podcast. Now back to the show. Let's go into our 
fun little, what did you call it, Meredith? Fun little game? I don't know. We call this segment Do You Remember, typically, where we look back on some aspect of the 80s when we used to go to high school. And I've called up, uh, let's see, the magazine Marie Claire has assembled a list of the top movies from the 80s in no particular order. And what I'm going to do is read the description of the film, and then it's Mm. your job to guess it. Would you like to do the just kind of shout it out thing, or you want me to go around the bench? Just shout it out? (laughs) Shout it out. Okay. All right, here we go. Oh, boy. From 1987, Diane Keaton plays a New York businesswoman who is... Top Gun. (laughs) 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 What's Diane Keaton? I'm just going to shout Top Gun at everything. Diane... (laughs) Diane Keaton's scenes got cut from Top Gun somehow, Joe. I don't know why that happened. Diane Keaton plays a New York businesswoman who is forced to drop everything, job and relationship included, when an unexpected death leaves her the caretaker of a baby girl. Anyone? I guess we started with a hard one. Directed by Nancy Myers. Wow. I'll give you a hint. I was going to say Hannah and her sisters. No. No, The hint is that, don't forget, there was... Peaches! No, the baby boomers were were making all these movies. Who's that talking? I don't know. That's look who's talking. No, you're all terrible. We were looking for Baby Boom is the name of that one. Oh, I was going to... I'm I'm picturing her in, like, a suit and sneakers. Yeah, or any Woody Allen film. She's she's in a suit. I'm looking at the uh, poster. She is wearing nice shoes. On his wall. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Now, in 2021. The Diane Keaton... Pin up. The, oh yeah. No, I'm I'm not facing the Diane Keaton wall right now. That's in the other room from 1987, long before Twilight or even Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This comedy horror film updated vampires for Gremlins. the mo- no <laughs> vampires for oh. the modern age in, in an edgy oh. and innovative way. One last bite. No. <laughs> No, the Lost Boys? Yes! There we go. Oh, that's good. We get that one, yes. Lost Boys starring starring Kiefer Sutherland. Let's see. It's funny because these descriptions have now warnings, very woke warnings. The warning for this movie I'm about to describe is misogyny, homophobia, racial slurs, and racism. It was the 80s. That was pretty much everything. Eddie Murphy (laughs) as a Detroit detective. Alex Foley. Something cop. Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop is correct, yes. Oh, my God, I got one. Yes. Good girl. Uh, James L. Brooks' 1987 film told the story of two rival TV reporters and a producer. Broadcast News. Yes. Oh, nice. Good, Diane. Good pull. Diana, you're just pulling. Well done. Being around Milton people makes me competitive. (laughs) (laughs) Diana did win when these. When these. Class. All right. I'm not keeping score, so Diana, if you want to keep score, Diana's then go winning. for it. Yes, you should. Sorry, I'm going to settle down. All right. From never equal parts ridiculous and hilarious, our two heroes here are two airheads with a time traveling mission to save the future. Oh, Bill and Ted. Yes. Very good, Meredith. Nice. That's to see. a funny movie. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Excellent, Excellent That's Adventure. Right. Yes. Who I have the pleasure of the the writer of that movie is one of our teachers at NYU. Oh, really? Wow. Nice. Very cool. He's- the original one? Anyways. The original yeah. one? And did he did he have a hand in the this one that just came out, Bill and Ted? In the remake? Three? Yeah, he's yeah. written all three. Really? Okay. So yeah. great. All right. This movie, we should be cautioned that there is sexual assault, sexual violence, misogyny, and sadomasochism. This haunting mystery. Nine tell- and a half weeks. No, but good guess. This haunting mystery mean? tells the story... Tells the story of Jeffrey, who finds a severed human ear and is set on a dramatic, terrifying journey. 
Oh, I oh, saw that. What, what's it called? Uh, Madonna's in it. Oh. No, but it is. The wrong one. It's not Twin Peaks, but it is David Lynch. Oh, yeah. Wait. Desperately. No, no not Desperately. No, what's it called? Starring Kyle McLaughlin and yeah. Dennis Hopper is in this and Isabella. Oh, Blue Velvet. Yes. Blue very Velvet. Good. Oh, my God. And I, I remember because it goes in one ear and it comes out the other ear. And I was like, right. whoa. It's in one ear out the other ear. I remember. <laughs> same ear. It's like, whoa. I remember our classmate Carl Prindle, I think, introduced me to Blue Velvet. And I said, have you seen that movie? And he said, Dave, it's more of a film. Okay. We'll do We'll do maybe three more here. Let's see. Matt Damon and Julia Roberts in the same movie. Donald Petrie's 1988 hit movie tells the tale of three teenage girls working at a... Mystic Pizza. Yes. Mystic Pizza. <laughs> you got it I got that. I pizza. got that. <laughs> Okay. This horror movie was so damn good that it literally toyed with our perception of dreams versus reality, doubling as a cinematic trailblazer and an absolutely haunting horror film, the story of Freddy... Poltergeist. No, Freddy Krueger still leaves on. Freddy Krueger? Anybody? Halloween. Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Elm Street, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Meredith. Points to Meredith. Very good. Oh, I Never thought saw it was it. the Halloween movies. Films, sorry. Films. Films. Francis Ford. Films and episodics. Francis Ford Coppola's 1983 flick had a star-studded cast, to say the My least. My cousin Vinny. <laughs> Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise, Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe. Oh, so, oh something. Outsiders. Something. That's, Meredith got it. Outsiders. Oh, Diana, the Outsiders. Diana, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think Meredith might be winning. Nah, it's a tie. No. I think it's a tie. But, you know, she's sort one of more the theatrical one. Right. Dave, what you should be asking is what movie appeared in the AV Center <laughs> while we were at Milton. Oh, I, I need. I, I Claudius. <laughs> we definitely saw that. No, what do you we mean? Did. Oh my god! Do, do wow. you mean uh, do you mean something that we watched as students or or? Yes, because that's good? all we could do on Friday night in the. I made sure that we could the Nicolas Cage, Matthew Modine film. Birdie. Birdie. Oh. I made sure we got we watched oh, that Birdie. had the best soundtrack. Ah, uh, it's the best soundtrack. It was so good. I made sure that we got that. Oh, is that watch. where I saw that? It must be. Yeah. Yeah, because of Meredith. Uh, all right, we'll do one more. This, this you is gotta do a tiebreaker, Diana right. and Meredith. All uh, right, here we go. Yeah. Ready, Doug? Yeah. Between the two, this slightly dated but classic film offers a truly perfect combination of slapstick revenge comedy, ahead of its time labor demands, flexible hours, equal pay, affordable child care, and of course, that incredible Mr. cast. Mr. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget, don't get me started on the ultra catchy theme song this said. Oh, starring starring Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda. Nine to five. <laughs> I've been saying nine to five. Oh, I'm waiting for one of you guys to yes. All right, Farrah wins. Anyways. No, no. Everybody's let's call it a tie. Everybody's a winner. Everybody wins. Uh I can't believe Top Gun didn't get into yeah, this. Yeah, what's up with that? That would have been too easy. Come I mean, on. It's the 80s. What about anything with Molly Ringwald? Or what about yeah. Raiders? Too easy. What about candles? 16 yeah. Candles? Muppet movies. Yes, those were. Awesome. Wars. Six hours in line for The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, wow. Really? I what did. Flash dance. Just six. Wow. Good for you. Only six. Yes. <laughs> I remember Probably. waiting in line for the the Empire. No, the the third one, Return of the Jedi, and 
Somebody in line blurted out that Yoda died, and I was crushed. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. come on. Oh, by the way, spoiler cool. alert, Yoda dies. Cool. Before we forget, Joe, is, is there a place people can go on the web to see films that you've worked on, or is there anything else you'd like to plug on behalf of your school, et cetera? No, not really. IMDb, I guess, or okay. uh, that's a pretty standard thing. I mean, we have a we have a website in my department. NYU's got a good Tisch website where you can get any sort of information about the place. I have my little bio. Up All there your Jobin Square news. No, but I want to know, like, if <laughs> yeah. I have a good idea for a script or a movie, where do I go? Like, who do I go to to <laughs> tell? You pitch it to? to you? Like, really? I have you some pitch it to Meredith, and then, <laughs> and then he, he drives over to my house and yells, gets a bullhorn, and screams it. So you laugh. Wake up! Meredith will be. But lastly, why did you go? Yeah, what was your exactly. excuse for not going to Meredith's brunch? Oh, he had a pool party or something. Yeah, we were in a, I was at a pool party for kids, eight-year-old kids. pool party, okay. That's a good excuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keeping the children alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, come on, three o'clock on a Sunday, last minute? I mean, it's not, it's tough. During a, yeah. No, it's totally fine. You can have your life. I'll just be I'll go to the next one if you. Okay. uh, Did you send Joe a photo? tell me what it is. Because it was a good photo. I got some, uh, I got the photo. I got the photo. It's nice. By the way, listeners, if uh, you, if you are interested, the Tish, is, which by the way is T I S C H, you must spell that like every day, Joe. Tish.nyu.edu for more information on the the Tish School for the, the Tish School for the Arts. Did go. I get that right? Yes. Okay. School NYU's. of the Arts, I believe it is. Yeah. Okay. School of the Arts. Pardon <laughs> Don't me. Don't mess that up. Me. Any parting and thoughts? If anybody gang? wants to visit, I'm on. It's at 721. It's a, we have a tremendous office. It's a beautiful place. Just come on up and say hi. For the record, he said that to me, right? He just gave that permission for me. Yeah, Meredith, you can come. Just start once we're going back in person. Just come in and start screaming, and you'll find me. Seriously, I love that. Done. All right. Well, you asked for Molly Ringwald, and you asked for Pretty in Pink, so we'll go out with the orchestral maneuvers in the dark. If you leave, yes. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the link. Thank you, Joe Vinciguera, for being an awesome guest. Thank you, Meredith Farah, Diana, David. It was amazingly fun. It's really good seeing you guys. This is better than any reunion. (laughs) We expect to be in your next screenplay, okay? Okay, that's fine. All of our names in the movie. I will do it. I promise you. Perfect. Right now, you'll see. The link is a pretty good link. Find your character, and you will be shocked. I will be so happy. (laughs) That's me. What? That That's evil woman who did that. Yeah, that's really awful. Why doesn't exactly. she stop screaming? Bad guys are much better, so you can all be the bad. Yeah, let's be the bad guys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, call the movie The Link, and everyone's trapped in our podcast and has to try to get out. It's a horror movie. Uh, and they have to sponsor us, too. Yes, they do. Oh, good, oh. good segue, by the way. For those of you who want to support The Link, go to pod617.com slash link. There's a link to our Patreon page where artists should get paid for the good work that they do. Right, Joe? Right, Professor Vincent Come on. So check that out. Please subscribe to The Link on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. And thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Swam under the bridge, like time standing still.